KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Eric Anderson in for Debbie Cruz. It's Thursday, September 8th. An El Cajon nursing home remains open despite a record of abuse. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. It's been an extremely hot week, but this weekend we might see a turn of events, some wind and rain. San Diego County officials yesterday cautioned that a hurricane off the coast of Mexico could bring high winds and heavy rain to the county. Forecasters say Hurricane K would not directly hit San Diego County, but it could still bring those winds and potentially a lot of rain beginning as early as tomorrow. The county and CAL FIRE will be providing free bags and sand at fire stations for people living in the unincorporated areas. A UCLA climate scientist says the intensity and duration of heat waves, like the one that we're living with this week, is linked to climate change. Global warming driven by human beings burning fossil fuels has changed the state's climate and pushed up temperatures an additional 3 to 5 degrees during a typical heat wave. The founder of the San Diego-based website GirlsDoPorn.com has been placed on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. Michael James Pratt, a New Zealand citizen, is accused of running the now deactivated website. Prosecutors allege that he and others coerced hundreds of women to appear in pornographic videos under false pretenses. Pratt is charged with 19 felonies, including production of child pornography, sex trafficking of a minor, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Federal authorities also announced yesterday the reward for information leading to his arrest is now $100,000. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can, all right? Thanks. An El Cajon nursing home had such a long record of poor care and abuse that federal officials moved to decertify it in April. But then, to the shock of advocates, they rescinded their order. In the first of a two-part series, KPBS investigative reporter Amitha Sharma examines the evidence against the nursing home and why it remains open. Heads up, this story does contain graphic descriptions that some audience members may find disturbing. At 2 a.m. on February 7th, a quadriplegic woman slept in a chair covered by a sheet at Avocado Post-Acute Nursing Home in El Cajon, while a man stood over her with his hands under that sheet. 
The incident is one of three sexual assaults that the California Department of Public Health substantiated at the 256-bed facility so far this year. And since 2019, state records reveal 628 overall complaints filed against avocado. That's four times the state average for facilities with at least 100 beds. It's an unsafe place for residents to be. Tony Chicotel is a lawyer with the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. He is familiar with the state's investigations into avocado. It seems like a dangerous nursing home, one that I would be reluctant to send anybody, let alone friends or family. Here are some of the most egregious examples taken mainly from state regulators' reports with support from police investigations. A 90-year-old man was allegedly assaulted and later died. A 71-year-old woman was sexually assaulted by a caregiver during a diaper change. A resident with strict swallowing precautions choked to death after she was left to eat her lunch alone. And a caregiver allegedly slammed a resident into a wall. It is quite straightforward. That's Scott Fikes, an attorney who has sued Avocado for negligent care. He's discussing the state's regulators' findings. There's a long evidentiary record that shows they are unable or unwilling to provide the level and quality of care that Medicare and Medicaid demand. Earlier this year, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the federal agency that oversees nursing homes, seemed to agree. The agency stated in April that it was terminating Avocado's contract with CMS to operate as a skilled nursing home citing its failure to protect residents from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. But weeks later, CMS reversed course and rescinded plans to decertify Avocado. A CMS spokesperson said in an email statement that the termination order was pulled because Avocado had, quote, returned to substantial compliance with the Medicare requirements. Yet, just two months after regulators canceled the decertification, state investigators found 13 federal deficiencies at Avocado. When questioned about the new findings, a CMS spokesperson again told KPBS that Avocado returned to substantial compliance in July. Avocado did not respond to multiple requests for comment. Also since April, state investigators have substantiated 11 abuse cases of residents. Chickatel says keeping Avocado open illustrates how regulators abdicate their duty to protect residents in favor of shielding for-profit nursing homes. We'll have the rules and they look great on paper and then we don't enforce them so they over time just become meaningless. As Avocado racked up complaints over the last years, its profits grew 72% from $3.2 million in 2017 to $5.5 million in 2020, according to financial disclosures. That is a fantastic revenue stream. Ernie Tosh is an expert on senior care finances. He says given Avocado's compliance record, it would be beneficial to have a third-party monitor. You should also be fining them substantial. Tomorrow, in part two of our series, Avocado allegedly allowed a man with severe mental illness and a history of violence to share a room with another resident. The result was deadly. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News.
The FDA is clearing red tape to allow for increasing testing capacity for monkeypox. The virus causes painful rashes and sores and has so far infected more than 320 San Diegans. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman spoke with a local doctor whose monkeypox advice is going viral. San Diego-based gastroenterologist Dr. Carlton Thomas has racked up millions of views on TikTok and Instagram, giving out information about monkeypox symptoms, vaccines, and how the virus spreads. Messaging matters. And when it comes from someone like me, who's very sex positive, who is a gay man, who does the same thing everybody else does in the gay community, I think when it comes from me, it's a little easier to listen to than if it were to come from some crusty, uh, heterosexual, 75-year-old guy in a suit and tie. Thomas has been using social media to get the word out about when vaccination appointments become available. Personally, he'd like to see some more data. Data about uh, vaccine effectiveness, about antibody levels, and about whether or not people are getting infected after those two shots. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. In other health-related news in the county, the San Diego County Health Department has just gotten its shipment of the new COVID-19 booster. KPBS reporter John Carroll has an update. The new booster combines elements of the original vaccine along with protection against the currently circulating versions of Omicron. Late Wednesday afternoon, the county told us their first shipment of the new vaccine has arrived. It will be available beginning Thursday at some pharmacies and health care providers. It will also be available at the Chula Vista South Region Live Well Center, the East Public Health Center in El Cajon, and the Central Region Public Health Center in San Diego. As to who should get the boosters and when, a county spokesperson told us anyone over 12 for Pfizer, 18 and older for Moderna, and who has had at least two vaccines with the last one coming at least two months ago. The spokesperson says those with comorbidities should check with their health provider and then schedule a booster. San Diego County moved into the low-risk category for COVID last week. It's hoped that with increasing immunity and the new booster, we can stay low-risk. John Carroll, KPBS News. The surging heat wave has left several San Diego County school districts scrambling to install portable air conditioning units or repairing units that are broken down at the worst possible time. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more. San Diego Unified has distributed 120 portable AC units to campuses across the district that need them. 60 more air conditioners are on the way. Chantel Sanchez has a son in first grade at Sherman Elementary, where the AC is back on after a brief breakdown last week. And it's very hot, obviously, the temperatures right now, and just being in a classroom with Lots of people, it makes it feel hotter. The Poway Unified School District will continue early dismissal for students at three campuses the rest of the week. The air conditioning is still being repaired at Midland Elementary, Bernardo Heights Middle School, and Rancho Bernardo High School. Portable AC units have been installed to help students cope with the heat there too. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Coming up, a couple thousand new trees are being planted across San Diego County. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. We all know it's cooler under the shade of a tree, but many neighborhoods have a noticeable shortage of them. That changed at least on a small scale yesterday at one park in Vista. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has the story. Raintree Park in Vista didn't get any rain, but it did get a shipment of new trees. It's part of a CAL FIRE grant to plant 2,000 trees in San Diego County. The city of Vista got 200 of them. Councilmember Corina Contreras joined volunteers in getting some trees in the ground. This area in Vista desperately needs trees. You know, we're going through a heat wave, moving forward, it's only going to get hotter. And what trees do, not only do they provide a beautiful scene for everybody to enjoy, but they provide shade. She hopes this is only the beginning because more trees are needed in the city, especially near public transportation stations. Last month, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that would require the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection to complete a statewide plan to increase tree canopy cover in urban areas by 2025. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. As grape harvest season returns, so does Escondido's Grape Festival. Dating back to the early 1900s, the Grape Festival celebrates Escondido's rich agricultural roots, And this year's festival is on Saturday. It features a range of entertainment, food, activities, all part of what the Escondido History Center is calling the city's one-day history lesson. Samantha Naraki is the event coordinator for the festival. She joined KPBS's Jade Hindman to talk about the history of the event and what people can expect over the weekend. All right, so what are the origins of the Grape Festival? So it dates back to 1908. And basically, the first one was in 1908 um, in September. It was September 8th. And uh, it was just something that was going to be a celebration of Escondido agriculture. And people were kind of hearing all around the land. Um, This was before social media, you know, um, uh, through the grapevine, if you will. They were hearing that Escondido had the sweetest grapes in the region. And that was in the Southern California region, which was also, it was a very, you know, it was a, it was a growing agricultural and grape area. So it basically, this festival was, uh, was going to be a celebration of that. Come see our, come see our grapes, come see our agriculture. If the word was that Escondido had the sweetest grapes, I'd imagine that that may be one of the reasons the festival became very popular in those early years. It was. It was um, It was not only the grapes, but it was because Escondido was becoming a big area for citrus and avocado, all of that. Uh, it just sort of grew over time. From 1908 to 1950, it drew thousands of Southern Californians, and it really rivaled the Pasadena's Festival of Roses in attendance. It was only second to that, which was really remarkable. 
Mm. And what makes Escondido a special place for grape growing? It's a nice valley. Actually, San Diego was the original area for for grapes in California. It was the, it was the first wine region in the whole state. And I don't think people realize that the uh, the Spaniards brought grapes here and started planting them. And it began in San Diego, of course, with the first mission. And now to this year's festival, what exactly is on tap? Well, we're taking it, we're going to drop it right, right back to the first festivals and, and really take it back to its roots of being an agricultural festival, less of a street fair. We have enough of those, you know, all, all around California and around the, around the city. We, we're, we're taking it back to, its, to an agricultural festival where there's going to be old games, old time games, old time music, and everything that's basically from that, those early years, from 1908 up to, um, up to the war, which is kind of when that first heyday of the festival sort of happened. And there's going to be some grape stomping too, right? I mean, can you tell us about grape stomping and uh, what's the purpose of it? Uh, well, of course, back in the day, you know, I Love Lucy style, it, uh, grape stomp was, you know, that's that's how we got, that's how we matched the grapes. Now we have machinery to do that. But, uh, you know, it's it's a nice, um, it's it's the historic way that we used to to, uh, to smash the grapes. So, uh, you know, it's always fun. A grape stomp's always fun. And this has always happened at the festival. So this year, the great thing is we have a good plentiful stock of grapes in the region, which is nice to say, even with this heat, we do have a good crop. So um, there'll be some great grapes in there to stomp. We're going to have a uh, wine and beer tasting area, of course, to taste all the local wine and beer and uh, lots of different activities for the family. Uh, there's going to be, you know, a lot of demonstrations like spinning and weaving and corn shelling and grinding and butter making and things that a lot of kids nowadays don't see those sort of things in, in our, uh, you know, digital age. Mm. What are you hoping people will learn about Escondido history by attending this event? Well, there's going to be a lot of different static displays. I don't know if a lot of people have actually been to Grape Day Park and seen the history there itself, like the uh, the big train museum and the uh, the blacksmith shop and the wheelwright shop and the old Victorian houses and things. And that's going to be set set the stage basically for all of this. So, um, yeah, there'll be a lot of static displays of steam engines and um, and all of those, you know, kind of older things that just really show all of the different types of things that that we were known for back in the day that I don't think people really know now. And where and when is this year's festival? It's in Grape Day Park, which is actually funny because people even to me will say, what does Grape Day Park stand for? What does that mean? And it really goes back to this festival. So that's it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's going to be in Grape Day Park. It's on the 10th this Saturday, and it's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, there'll be things all throughout the park for people to do. And a lot of it's free, which is great. And where can people go to learn more about it? They can go to grapedayfest.com for more information. That was Samantha Naraki, the event coordinator for the Escondido Grape Day Festival, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Eric Anderson. Debbie Cruz will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.